We are Crosspoint. We're a group that gather each Sunday. And we sing. We pray. freedoms that we have here. Freedoms that in many ways we do take for granted. But all over our world there are Christians gathering. Some in little huddles. Some in gigantic cathedrals. All to be able to praise the name of Jesus and we get to come here right in Ingleside every Sunday morning, and to be able with great freedom, in great luxury, in great opportunity, to be able to just say, we love you, God. We care about you, God. You are way bigger than we'd ever anticipate. We we need to see you clearer, God. Today, as we open up your word, God, I want you just to be able to blow away my expectations. I would love for you to change me from the inside out. Chip away things, God, that maybe, well, are offensive to others and offensive to you. And, well, blur who you are. I want to be able to just be a poster, a billboard, that be able to point people to Jesus so that they might experience abundant life and eternal life. God, that's my prayer. And every time we open the Word, whether it's corporately or whether it's privately, we have an opportunity to allow God to be able to change us. And that's my prayer today. And I think it's yours. It's the weekend, though, that we remember and honor our fallen soldiers on Memorial Day. We enjoy freedom our way of life, our country, because of their sacrifice. Literally, their lives. And none of us will ever understand what it means to live in a place other than the United States unless we travel, unless we have some opportunity to see what it's like. Now, although violence and war continues to pepper our world, we're going to focus on a different war this morning. An invisible or a spiritual war that's been raging since the beginning of time. You see, sometime before God created the heavens and the earth, Lucifer rebelled. Satan continues to wreak havoc, bringing death and destruction in his wake. And Paul reminds us of this cosmic conflict in Ephesians chapter 6 and specifically states that our battle is not against flesh and blood. So many of us, again, look at hard times and people as the enemy. It's not. But just like in any war, there are victories and defeats, there are casualties and death, there are heroes and villains. The scriptures are able to guide us and direct us and encourage us and help us 
understand the conflict between good and evil. This Bible is filled with stories. Some who follow God well, and some who actually didn't. People who listened and obeyed God were heroes. They were real heroes. We're going to focus on one of those heroes this morning. Somebody God calls worthy to be honored. Now, we all like to be honored. Some of us don't like the limelight. But we like to be appreciated, no matter where we are, what we're doing, whether we're a student, whether we're a mom, whether we're working in the marketplace. We just like people to say thank you. We're really glad you're here. You really make a difference in this classroom. You really make a difference on the ball field. You really are very important to us. Well, we're going to open up the scriptures and see why Epaphroditus, that's a mouthful, huh? Epaphroditus is a hero. And why he should be honored. I've asked Dave Cleveland to read our scripture for this morning. It's going to be found in Philippians chapter 4. He's going to start at verse 10. And this will give us a little bit of background of what I'm going to share. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Philippians or open your flat screens. And we're going to start reading chapter 4, starting at verse 10. Would you join me stand for the reading of God's word this morning, please? How grateful I am and how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but for a while you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything with the help of Christ, who gives me the strength I need. But even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I brought you the good news and then traveled on to, from Macedonia. No other church did this, even when I was in Thessalonica. 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 You sent me more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. What I want for you to receive a well-earned reward because of your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need, more than I need. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable to God and pleases him. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Now glory to be to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for the grace that you've given us. And we ask, even at this time, that you would help us hear from you. Do what you need to do in us and in our church. And would you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. 
Paul writes a thank you note to the church at Philippi while he's under house arrest. In his letter, a rather long thank you note, if you look at thank you notes, it's four chapters, he talks about a joy not dependent on circumstances, but he talks about the power of the gospel. He talks how to live humbly and powerfully, and he's so grateful for the financial gift and for the Philippian church generosity. Paul introduces Epaphroditus and answers three questions. And these questions are, what does a kingdom hero look like? What does a kingdom hero do? And how do we treat kingdom heroes? Let's talk about Epaphroditus a little bit before we go back a couple chapters to our scripture that we're going to focus on today. Many of the first century believers are basically unknown to us. We know that there was an amazing amount of believers. We know that the church was fruitful and that it multiplied and that because of persecution, for the most part, was spread into all of the world. We know that people gathered and they loved God a whole lot. But if we read the New Testament, we really only have a few characters, a few individuals, A few people that were able to see the glimpse or take a glimpse of of who they are and what they did. Well, in a small number of cases, we have snippets of data of marketplace heroes. We don't have a whole lot of information about Epaphroditus, but everything we have is found in Philippians. And as we just heard, the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to deliver funds to Paul and to serve him. Now, Paul was under house arrest at this time. Philippians were one of the prison epistles that he had written. Um, And during his time of being incarcerated, he took the opportunity to follow up on some churches, some people. And while he was under house arrest, which doesn't sound so bad to us, But remember, there still wasn't any internet back then. There wasn't any TV. You didn't have the complete freedom to just go in and out or any of those things. You couldn't even go get your own supplies. There are always soldiers, and my guess is soldiers, Roman soldiers, weren't the most friendly people around. A little gruff, a little crude. His life was, well, limited at best. And so what happened during that time is that churches or individuals or families would come and they would bring food and they would take care of all the uh, incidentals of the prisoners. And if nobody showed up, well, they didn't eat. They didn't get clean clothes. They didn't get any of the inevity that each one of us would probably appreciate. Now, Dave read an amazing portion of Scripture, worthy sometime to be addressed, to be preached about, to spend some time in. And in this passage, Paul learns contentment. He is so grateful for the kindness and the generosity of this church. 
And Paul uses the moment to teach about the generosity of God, as he always does. But I just read that, so we might have a little background of really what Epaphroditus did. So Epaphroditus, all we know is he's part of the church. And he was sent to bring a gift. And as we're going to find out, he gets sick. And he literally almost dies. The trip from Greece to Rome, to where Paul was, was about 1,300 miles. Again, there's no plane. There's no trains. There's no automobiles. All right? 1,300 miles. He's carrying with him a wad of cash. And I'm sure he'd call it something different. But he had a whole lot of funds. And he was sent to go encourage Paul, to help Paul. We're not even sure if you read the scripture that he actually accomplished the task. We're not. He may have been sick right when he got there, or maybe the trip exhausted him, or maybe the pressure or the, uh, the, the, just the weight of making sure he would do a good job paid a toll. There's lots of different views here. But this one thing we do know, he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was serving others on behalf of a church. So let's hear how Paul describes him. Remember, Paul had been in Philippi. He had planted this church. He knew many of the folks there. He no doubt knew Epaphroditus. So in chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 25. And this is what Paul writes about Epaphroditus. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. It's Paul writing from prison. He is a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. Right here, Paul describes what I would call a hero and what he does. There are three things that Paul talks about and describes Epaphroditus. In fact, as I look at this, I think these are three different discipling relationships. These are three things that God calls not only Paul to do, but I think every one of us to do. And what I'd like to do is describe these relationships to you so that you may understand just a little bit of how strategic I think the Apostle Paul was. First of all, he calls him a brother. A brother. Well, a brother in this situation um, describes Epaphroditus. Now, I do think, again, although he described him all three ways, that he had these different relationships at different times in his relationship with Epaphroditus. So Paul says, hey, you're a brother. You are a friend. I believe this is a relationship that's a little more casual. I think it's a little bit more sporadic. It's times when you get together well, because the time is right. It's not something that you are disciplined in this relationship. It's just that you love to hang out together. 
In Proverbs 27, 17, the scripture says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know, there are many relationships that we have, whether neighbors or co-workers, that as you just hang out with them, they become better people. You are encouraging them. You are strengthening them. You may not even share some scripture, or you might. But every time I have an opportunity to hang out with someone, I don't feel it's an accident. I think literally God has allowed that situation to happen. And as a result of it, whether I have a great relationship, a casual relationship, a sporadic relationship with this person, maybe I'm just even meeting them. But one of the things I have a privilege of doing, and each one of us do, is that we have an opportunity to sharpen one another, to encourage them on the journey. I think that's a brother kind of a relationship. But he also calls them a co-worker. A co-worker. Somebody who's in the trenches. I would look at this kind of a relationship as someone on a ministry team. Someone who Paul spent time with and systematically taught him, encouraged him. It was a disciplined time. Maybe back in Philippi while he was there, he met with them once a week in the morning early at Starbucks. And he was able to share scripture and share some coffee. But he had a plan. He knew as he was going to disciple him or encourage him that if he was going to be a faithful worker, he needed to be trained. And so it wasn't a casual relationship that all of a sudden he just kind of felt like, hey, what, what should we do today? It was more of a systematic kind of teaching. Some of you are from Navigator's background, and and I would call this type of discipleship a man-to-man, or now what I see is one person with two or three other people that get together and have a specific agenda to help them grow in their relationship with God and do their journey well. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to Timothy, his probably um, favorite son. And Paul writes this. He goes, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Timothy wasn't just a casual relationship here. He was a co-worker. And Paul was trying to share with him, hey, there are times you meet with people and you remember the things that I have taught you. And realistically, you need to be able to teach them so they might be able to teach others. Actually, this is what parents do. Realistically. Parents have the privilege of having... um, in-house disciples for 18 or 19 or 20 or some of you 30 years. I, I don't know how long that they stay. It seems longer and longer. But you have an opportunity to consistently be able to pour into them healthy doctrine, healthy understanding of who God is. 
So that eventually, and kids don't always know this, but by the time they turn 18, or whatever the number is, is that literally they're supposed to move out. Okay? And they're supposed to be responsible people. And they are starting life by themselves, apart from their parents. And although you desire to be with them, it is a beautiful day that they are able to do a checkbook, pay their bills, be honorable. But more exciting than that, if they know the Lord, they love the Lord, and they've spent 18 years under your roof, that they know what's important, and they've caught it from you, and they are able to begin, whether it's other friends, acquaintances, people in the ministry. You're a co-worker passing this off. Literally, I think it's helping them reproduce. So many times we look at our challenges from God himself. And we read in Matthew 28, go. And as you go, make disciples. Go into all the world. Teach them to obey. Baptize them. But what we forget it making disciples actually is spending time with people who follow God more and more, love God more and more, but also help others love God more and more, who help others help God more and more. And this goes on and on. And if you're in it just for the quick fix, and you just want to help someone get through a troubled situation, my guess is is that we've dropped the ball. We have an opportunity to think two generations, three generations, four generations down the road. And that's what discipling is all about. You know, there are three books, and I don't know if you guys do summer reading. (laughs) Especially you students. You're going like, no way, Rick. I am done with school. I am so excited to be done with school. I am not picking up another book at least till August. Well, let me challenge you. You have lots of free time. And so, maybe even as a family, some of you look, but there are three books that have been unbelievably influential in my life in understanding what it means to spend time with others. One is called Born to Reproduce by Dawson Trotman. And I, honestly, I'd be happy to give any one of you these books. Um, I, I just think that will help you understand God's amazing plan. Dawson Trotman was the founder of The Navigators. It's a short, actually, booklet. Another book called Lost Art of Disciple Making by Leroy Imes. Another navigator. Unbelievable um, understanding what the Bible has to say about making disciples. And lastly, a guy named Robert Coleman, Master Plan of Evangelism. Now again, many of you guys have read these. Uh, Maybe you have. But if you haven't, it would be something, again, we're looking at heroes, and heroes are people that make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Maybe it might be a book worthy to focus on to help you see what God's Word has to say. Lastly, he calls them a fellow soldier. 
I believe Epaphroditus was in the trenches with Paul. He fought with Paul. He endured. This is more of a peer relationship, even a leader of leaders. Again, Paul writes to, first, uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 at the end. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight for true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. You see, I think again, over the course of time, you may be a brother to someone. You may be a co-worker to someone. You may be a fellow soldier to someone. You may have these relationships. But what I have seen pretty clearly starting about 35 years ago is that God has called me to have all three of these relationships with guys at one time. Now, that doesn't mean we always meet, but I always am purposeful to be able to have some kind of brother relationships that just by hanging out, we might be able to encourage one another. Also, to be able to have co-worker relationships, which is more a man-to-man. And what I did is I brought up my notebook. This notebook is about 35 years old. And I actually will leave it up here, and you can look at it or any time you want to. And, and the truth is, back when I was a youth pastor at Moraine Valley Church, you've heard me tell some of those stories, that's what this is, Moraine Valley Youth Clubs. And back then, I met with a guy named Tom Yakely. And Tom spent time with the youth pastor back then and discipled me and walked with me through many principles and and understanding the Scripture and how to be able to pour your life into other people. And this whole notebook literally has different packages. If I would meet with you on man-to-man, I would spend about 35 specific sections with you, making sure, and then making sure not only that you understood it, but that you took notes and would be able to pass it on. And then every single person that I met with, I would line up and have a diagram. And I would know again where they're going, what they've done, how they get. And then I would encourage them to do the same. And there would be accountability. You know, I suppose I probably should make this digital at this moment here. But it just, I, you know, it, it just, very sentimental. But other than that... What I'm just saying is, is that if we look around and we have every intention of making disciples or being a hero, oh boy, intentions don't actually work very well. All right? I am going to lose weight in the next few weeks so I can have my summer body back. I'm not exactly sure what my summer body is. But I'm, 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 that's what I want to do. I'm pretty sure that if I don't change anything, <laughs> no summer body. In fact, it might even get a little larger. I don't know. So all I'm saying is, is that in our lives, you know, you want to be a hero. You want to be someone that God is just smiling at. 
if we continue to do the same things over and over and over again, my guess is nothing's going to change. And so you look at your life and you look at, at these things and, and truthfully, Paul says this, I really loved Epaphroditus. He was a brother. He was a co-worker. He was a fellow soldier. He, he is a kindred spirit to me. And not only that, then he focuses on two types of church ministries that actually Epaphroditus did. That's the kind of person he was. But Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, at the very end, he was your messenger to help me in my need. You see, I think Epaphroditus was a local boy who is described as a messenger and a minister. A local boy. As I look around and as I try to spend time with people, healthy people, people who want to disciple others, I, again, use a very simple acronym. I like hanging out with fat people. All right? Fat. Faithful. Available and teachable. You know, there are times I find a whole lot of faithful people, but they're not available. Oh, Rick, I can fit you in, let me see, three months from now on a Tuesday. I think you're a great guy, gal, but my guess is not too available. Teachable. Every time we open up the scriptures, we literally say, hey, what's God teaching? Well, you know what? I read that passage before. I, I don't need to read that one. Ooh, that's hard. You know what's so cool? Popular passages are popular for a reason. There's a lot in them. A lot in them. And I just want to encourage you again. As we look at this, we find out, hey, Epaphroditus, kind of a normal guy, working in the marketplace, we got to send somebody to the Apostle Paul. We need someone who's proven. We need someone who's going to take care of this funds. Someone with integrity. Hey, Epaphroditus, can you do this? Whoa, it's 1,300 miles. You know, Mr. Elder of the, you know... Philippi Church. Well, you know what? He took it. And the scriptures call him a messenger, which literally is a word that just says he's a herald. He's one that gives a message of the king. That's all he does. And that he came to minister. To minister. He actually went to be a servant. So we're going to have to find a guy who's going to be a herald, someone who shares God's word well with others, and we're going to need a servant. You know what? That might mean everyone sitting in one of these chairs today, to be quite honest. You look around. So many of you do know God's word. And you're not actually need to know the whole scriptures. You don't need to know the Greek and Hebrew. You don't need to know all that. What you need to do is know God's word. And you spend time. One of the things I love about this church is your love for God's word. Amazing love for it. And you're thirsty and you're hungry. It's fun to see. 
and servants and servants. Well, let's get back to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 26 through 30. And so this is what Paul says. He describes Paul, tells a little, I mean, he describes Epaphroditus, tells a little bit what Epaphroditus does, and then he says this, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. And this is what he asked the church to do. Verse 29. Welcome him with Christian love. And with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do far away. Paul is sending him home because, number one, he's homesick. He's been there a while. Number two, again, it isn't like FaceTime. It isn't like getting a text. It isn't like any of the... They were quite a ways away, and they were concerned about his health. So what does Paul say? He says, hey, church, he's coming back. This is what I'd like you to do. Because he's a hero. He is a hero. I want you to lovingly and joyously welcome him. I want you to lovingly and joyously helping welcome him. And lastly, I want you to honor him because Epaphroditus risked his life. You know, my question is, how do you honor people? Well, first of all, you say it. You say it. Just like you love to be appreciated and honored Well, you can honor a lot of different folks, but I think you need to say it. You know, right now it's uh, graduation time, a lot of grad parties, right? And and some have done some amazing, you know, um, uh, they've been in trenches a long time. They've done a good job. So you want to honor them. And so you say it. You write it. You post it. But I'm so glad, I'm so proud, I'm so encouraged on what you did. You know what? There are some amazing heroes that you know. Heroes that God would smile on. And I think sometimes we just forget to tell them so. And my job isn't to sit down and tell you exactly how to say it, but my job is to encourage you When you see someone that walks with God, when you see someone that they're obeying God, that they are strengthening others, let them know that. Because that's how you take care of real heroes. Lastly, show it. Show it. Tell them and show it. You know, we're going to have, in a couple weeks, we've got some very faithful workers here at Cross Point. And we're going to honor them. And I sat down with this one lady who I'm planning to do this with. And she actually was not that happy about the whole thing. And I get it. 
But I shared with her, I said, you know what? We as a church want to say thank you. We as a church want to honor you. You have spent years doing different things that help people love Jesus and follow Jesus. We want to do that. You know, we need to take time to honor our fallen heroes this weekend. No doubt about it. But we also need to focus on the three questions and answers that talk about being a kingdom hero. I start off saying this, what does a kingdom hero look like? Well, a kingdom hero is someone who gives up his life for the kingdom. And my guess is there's a whole lot of kingdom heroes right here. And maybe there's even some conviction. You know, I'm not actually that much of a king. You know what, God gives us grace every day. But let me remind you again, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus called the crowd together and says, Hey, if any one of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And if you hang on to your life, you will lose it. If your life and your priorities and your schedule and your plans are most important, if the first thing you spend money on is you, we are not dying very well. God highly, highly esteems those who waste themselves on God. Isn't it a great story in Matthew 26 where we don't know exactly who the lady is, but we have some idea of this lady. But she comes, she sees Jesus, she pours perhaps a years of wages of perfume on him. Everyone in the room is annoyed or appalled. And Jesus smiles and says, she was extravagant. I'm going to tell her story and make sure her story's told all over. You literally poured yourself out for me, Jesus said. What does a hero do? What's a hero do? I think he makes disciples, or she makes disciples. And, and there's all different ways to make disciples. There's brother relationships, more casual. There's co-worker relationships, which are more systematic. And there's fellow soldier relationships, where you're in the trenches, working with others. But that's what a hero does. He ministers. He's a herald that gives good news of the kingdom and serves others. And how do we treat heroes? We love them and we honor them. Let's pray. Father, in many ways, many of us didn't even know there's a guy named Epaphroditus before walking in today. There's only a few verses here. We don't have a lot of background, God. But we know this, is that 
the Apostle Paul, under your inspiration, said that he's an amazing guy. He is worthy to love and to honor. He's doing well. And God, if we look at Epaphrodite's life, many of us can relate to him. We don't all have great positions of authority. But we're part of this church. And we have an opportunity, Father, to be heroes. Give us the wisdom and the strength and the power to walk with you. Give us the ability, God, to invest well. Help us understand what seeking first the kingdom means and how you will take care of all the details. God, we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our obedience. And we pray, dear God, that as we as a family hear your voice, we'd be quicker to respond, quicker to ask for forgiveness, and quicker to care for people. In Jesus' name, amen.